This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, I had the uh, honor uh, to be uh, like the helper person for um, uh, Mrs. Mitsu Suzuki, Suzuki Yoshi's widow. And for maybe two or three years, her uh, tea ceremony student. <clears throat> and I, um, well, I, uh, I'm sure I, I appreciated it at the time, but it took some years before I uh, could actually uh, sense the, uh, the depth of her teaching to me. She wasn't exactly my Dharma teacher, but in a way she was. Um, and her teaching kind of uh, pivoted around um, a, uh, uh, an understanding of the world that is not like what we grew up with in the West. And as a result, she would uh, periodically give me certain instructions that maybe at the time seemed kind of arbitrary, but I eventually realized we're all coming from the same place. And that place basically was that there is, there is no abyss between us and the world. This, of course, flies directly in the face of our uh, European empiricist inheritance, which says there is an unbridgeable abyss between us and the world. And uh, by extension, of course, us and others. And uh, her, uh, Suzuki Sensei's uh, way of being in the world made it obvious that she didn't buy that. And so, um, for instance, uh, she, uh, if I was to help her uh, watering the uh, plants on the roof of the Zen Center or on Page Street, uh, she would uh, direct me to have some conversation with them rather than just dump water on them and that would be the end of it. <laughs> so instead, I, I should uh, greet and encourage them. And uh, I also wound up kind of being a, a caretaker for the uh, Kaisando, 
at the 300 page and uh, her, her teaching conveyed that the uh, figure of uh, Suzuki Roshi was um, I don't know how to put this was not exactly not he himself obviously it wasn't exactly he himself either so she would uh, when she and I were in the vicinity of the Kasando she would always uh, whisper So I would uh, mimic her in this, and I would always speak very softly in that vicinity. And she always reminded me, uh, please, once the sun goes down, please uh, come and close the doors. And in the morning, please open them again. Uh, and she said, uh, I, don't, I don't know if students realize If the uh, doors are open all the time, he gets tired. And uh, so, uh, this again, this is not our usual view of things like statues and so forth. Uh, I'm afraid that uh, some, those who are schooled in uh, Western uh, spirituality, would consider that, unfortunately, idolatry, which, of course, would be way, way off the mark, but what are you going to do? Now, she was also a, an accomplished uh, poet, haiku poet, and uh, she was quite respected in the Japanese community in spite of uh, the uh, kind of... Uh, what uh, bad feeling that was there for a number of years because um, the, the white people ran off with their priest, Suzuki Roshi, uh, of whom they were very fond. So even though none of them really, nobody sat Zazen, uh, they were very fond of him as their spiritual person who would uh, do ceremonies and uh, honor the dead and so forth. So when he left, they were not happy. And that lasted for quite some while, but eventually, I think, it uh, gave way to a, a softer feeling. And uh, occasionally I would accompany Mrs. Suzuki to events in Japantown for the Japanese community. And I have very little Japanese myself, so I couldn't really necessarily follow what was going on. But uh, one I actually remember what it was about. It was a meeting, and there were there must have been three hundred people there. No, I guess I can't recall the occasion, but uh, she stood up to speak, and uh, people were out of, absolutely silent and paying attention to her. And on other occasions, it was obvious uh, that she had a, uh, an extremely good sense of humor. And occasionally when I was with her in the 
company of other Japanese, they spent most of the time laughing at stuff she said. So uh, periodically I, uh, I express gratitude to her for her teaching and uh, appreciate how her teaching is uh, completely intimate with our, our Zen way. And in fact, it was not other than our Zen way. And uh, our way of being in the world that um, kind of uh, refuses to fall into this imagined abyss between ourselves and each other, or ourselves in the world. This was her teaching, and this was our teaching also, our Dharma teaching. And this is uh, behind how we relate to uh, whenever possible to one another. Sometimes that's a little challenging. And also to um, uh, objects in the world. And for this to, to allow this to kind of animate how we how we are in the world, how we move through the world, uh, uh, nourishes and is nourished by our zazen practice. So there are many, many, many stories about, um, or that reflect this way of being in the world. And uh, I know I've mentioned before uh, at uh, Heiji a Monastery in, in Japan, there's a, um, uh, a place called the, the Half Dipper Bridge. There's a, a bridge over a, a water source of some kind. And uh, when people take water from that um, creek or whatever it is, they always pour half of it back in acknowledgement of the, the uh, profound connection between this water source and our life. And how this connection is reflected in everything in our world. So our sometimes um, fussy way of handling things and doing things is, is rooted in this almost understanding, maybe not quite understanding. Uh, it's rooted in this uh, yoga of self, object, and other, where things are together and not apart. And uh, as we cultivate this, it affects how we do dishes and use the toilet and do our laundry and relate to each other, and so forth. And that also goes back to and springs from sitting in stillness. And sitting in stillness uh, reveals and confirms these uh, mysterious truths about the world.
got an uh, email from uh, somebody. I'm not exactly sure who they are. Some uh, group that is um, uh, trying to establish the practice of what they call mindfulness in schools. And they wanted to know if, if I would be interested in being a mindfulness instructor. And I, I've been back and forth about this. At first I thought, yeah, okay. And then I thought, no. And then I thought, well, maybe. <laughs> but the thing, the difficulty was, um, I was trying to imagine uh, talking to, um, I guess, grammar school kids um, about mindfulness, whatever that is, without bringing in uh, the teachings that, to me, make mindfulness of any sense at all. And I thought, well, if I do that, the, maybe some Christian parents will want to burn me at the stake if they hear that, you know, well, yes, you told us it was just, you know, a, a, an exercise for their benefit, but then there's this Buddhist guy in there uh, talking about, like, plants and, and stuff, and we can't have that. But this uh, way of experiencing the world you know, pervades how we are. And the more we practice, the more it does so. So to pretend that that's not really an issue or happening, I don't know if I can do that. So I don't know, maybe if some of you have some ideas about that, you can, you can tell me. I'm still dithering. So. Um, kind of in line with this, we, uh, we were hoping to have the um, Sajiki ceremony today, and I'm sorry, but it looks like that's not happening, and I apologize to any who were hoping that would happen. Um, but I've been sick for almost two weeks, and found it very difficult to do anything. And also, uh, one of my right-hand people, whom I most depend upon, has been out of town. And so the preparations for Sajiki just didn't happen, and I am sorry, and we will do that at some point. And we'll try to, to publicize that a bit ahead of time. But that whole ceremony is also based on this non-separation. And uh, acknowledges that so much of our world, our life, is uh, not exactly in the light, but it's somewhere in shadow. So you can't really get a handle on it. And yet, you know, it, it needs to be acknowledged and cared for and attended to. So this ceremony is about extending our 
goodwill and that caring mind, caring heart into the dark that we can't see into. And of course, a lot of our teaching is, well, some would say uh, kind of mysterious and involves uh, some um, pretty fancy footwork with language so that we, we are able to say things without saying anything. And, and in so doing, speak to that part, that aspect of our being. Uh, to use a uh, saying from one of our stories, that part of us that can't be hindered. There is that part of us that can't be hindered. And our teaching speaks to him, her, it, them. And naturally, uh, sometimes uh, people, um, uh, students of the the Buddha way will, you know, they'll uh, they'll ask, you know, well, well, wait a minute now, now, who who is that? What is that? Where is that? And then, if you if you get the sense that they are creeping up on grasping something by way of an answer. And you can bop them, dissuade them from anything quite so foolish. Which reminds me that I think the last talk I gave, I think I, I, think I made a mistake uh, when I was talking about um, uh, our story, um, uh, Master Luopu about to die talking about that one and um, uh, during uh, Lopu's last encounter with uh, Yansong, a, a monastic in his community, uh, uh, Lopu says, as you may remember, to Yansong, When we were talking earlier in the hall with the community, you, you said some good stuff, but uh, I have a, there's a teaching from my master, uh, Jashan, um, that I think you should uh, understand and appreciate. And Yansong says, okay. And uh, Roku says, uh, my teacher said, um, Before the eyes, no objects, no things. And that teaching is before your eyes. However, 
that one or it is not before the eyes and is not reached by ears or eyes. And as you may remember, he asked Yansong, so can you choose from what I just said which utterances are host and which are guest? And if you can, I will convey the robe and the bowl of succession to you. And um, as I'm sure you recall, poor Yansong says, no, I don't get it. And Lopu says, come on, you should really get it. And Yansong says, no, no, I really don't. And Lopu says, ah, how awful. And he says, uh, what did he say? The, uh, the boat of compassion is not rowed over murky water and dies. I hope to go out in such a way. <laughs> I can't be arranged ahead of time. So, Anyway, I think when I talked about this story, I wasn't so clear that uh, Lil Poo was saying, is not before the eyes. And that's the one I'm talking about, who can't be hindered, and who is, um, uh, I don't know, an inalienable companion of everyone. And is the basis for how we relate to each other and to the world. So um, if um, what I said before was confusing, I apologize. And, uh, you know, maybe that's no better what I just said, but I thought I ought to make the effort. These vexing clothes. In fact, I was uh, sitting next to the late abbot Zenshin Ryufu, Philip Whalen, in the Zendo at uh, Tassajara. Uh, it was, uh, I don't know, I think it was uh, right before service or something. He was uh, getting his uh, case on. I distinctly heard him say, confound this outfit. <laughs> <laughs> which, if you knew him, works. Yeah, that fits perfectly well. So, um, she or they or it is always here. 
So I think we, in a funny way, we can take great comfort from that. And if you encounter someone like Mrs. Suzuki in your life, uh, rack it up to good karma and hang out with that person. I'm uh, frequently embarrassed at uh, how poorly I um, embody her teaching, but I keep at it. approach being asked to talk about mindful mindfulness versus zazas and instruction and I was trying to think of a good metaphor but they all ended up judgy which I don't want yeah well that's kind of my issue it's like uh, how would I avoid I guess I could avoid ever saying zazen I could probably do that but the intimate quality of our practice would, I think, kind of come out somehow. And it would be very hard to... Maybe it wouldn't matter. It would be very difficult to uh, talk to a bunch of fidgety kids and, and try to help them understand why they should do this, this mindfulness thing. Well, what is that even based on? Is it just for their psychological health? Or, you know, so there will be fewer fist fights in the schoolyard? I don't know. I'm not quite sure what the idea is. But to convey a teaching like that as just kind of an impertinence to their life, uh, you know, uh, kind of on the same level as like soccer practice and ballet, it's like, I don't know if that's quite what we want to do. I mean, maybe it is, I don't know. They, they have a training of some kind and maybe I should go to that and see what they say and ask if, you know, uh, there's a, uh, a committee of evangelical parents keeping an eye on this stuff so those Buddhists don't get their foot in the door. And if that's the case, I will probably excuse myself and say, I'm sorry. Mostly a Buddhist these days, although I can, I can, uh, no, it's not, I can't pass for a, some other faith tradition. I am quite comfortable in, in practically every faith tradition, and that's not what they're like. They want people to say, no, no, there is only one way. But that's how they understand. Jesus is saying, ego sun via 
veritas et vita, the way, the truth, and the life. They think that means we have to be a Christian. It's like, no, kids, that's not what it means. And I would, I might wind up saying something like that in the classroom, and then I'd be dead. So, yes. Yeah, I've, I've done it with kids oh. here in San Francisco and Oakland. Oh. Um, and I think <clears throat> a couple things. One is students in the San Francisco schools, you know, doesn't apply to all. If their parents were more involved, that would be a great thing. So uh-huh. I don't think you'll hear from any parents. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but it's, I think we can think of the mindfulness training for kids, and, and a big part of it is mm-hmm. helping them to get good to find calm abiding. Uh-huh. Um, and so it might be the same thing that for some students they find in their art classes or dance or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but I think the second thing for us when we do, um, when we have an opportunity to work with young people, is that it's, it can be a portal. Uh-huh. Um, so that if we can provide them with some moments of mindfulness, some yeah. calm abiding, yeah. that they might eventually ask what the basis of that is and where ah. it comes from. Okay, and then um, they could come and find us if they want. Right. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you, Steve. So when I do it, I tell them what my practice is, but it's not part of not part of what goes on uh-huh. in that. Because it's very brief. It's In Oakland, it's the, a mindful minute. Is what oh, mindful minute. Oh, mindful minute. okay. All right. All right. And mostly, you train the teachers to do it at all times during the day. Uh-huh. Um, and you made a, a reference, and this, the, you know, they've done some research on it here and there and in Chicago, um, and it actually does reduce truancy, uh, reduce classroom um, conduct. Uh-huh. Excellent. Okay. Um, and in Oakland, the school that I was working with, um, the kids ask for it now. Really? Like if somebody says something uh, mean to the person next to them or whatever, the other kid will say, We need a mindful we moment. We need a mindful moment. All right. Okay. So, that sounds good. I think if you think of it as a portal that they uh-huh. may come back as, after they practiced a while and ask, okay. well, where did this come from? And not, not worry about being burned at the stake, particularly. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think Robert Thomas is teaching. Oh, is he? He is mm-hmm. the executive director of a group that's oh. focused on mindfulness in schools. In yeah. the city? Uh, in Oakland, I think. Oh, in Oakland. Yeah. Ah, okay. So, All right. Yeah, so. And so it's a happening thing. Yes? So, you know, I was thinking about your story of speaking to the flowers. Yeah. And I thought, what if you think of the children that way? You know, you put the effort mm-hmm. in, you don't know what's going to happen. Water them. You water yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. And see what happens. Okay. Yes. You still do the effort. All right, maybe maybe I should do this and see what happens. The other thing I was going to say is Mark Lesser, mm-hmm. you know Mark. Yeah, he's done quite a bit of that work with uh, Google, the whole mindfulness oh, thing. Right. I'm reading his book on leadership now. It's part uh-huh. of a reading group that I have, mm-hmm. and he has a really. I'll bring it to you to, to look at it. Ah, he okay. has a really great way to connect the practice. Mm-hmm to make it relevant to people's life in, mm. in different ways mm. that doesn't lose the the feel of Sazen. Mm. We found that to be really helpful. Okay, all right, thank you. Yes? I was thinking when you, uh, you were talking about um, Suzuki and her approach to life, um, and it seems that uh, it's certainly not a lot easier, but maybe a little easier if you're able to place yourself in a rather specialized situation, such as a sendo, mm. or in the vicinity of a kaisando, mm. or in a tea room, right. or something like that, where the, I won't say the cares of the world disappear, but they're at a distance. Mm-hmm somehow and it, it 
it, it seems like it more readily allows you yeah. to follow these practices. Yeah, and, it does. And that's, um, I mean, we're able to do that a little bit here. Yeah, a little bit here, yeah. I would like to do it a little more, mm -hmm. but it's difficult mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. Uh, so, um, <coughs> same old question that many, many people have asked over the years. It's like, what do you do when you walk out of that door? Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, I actually had a thought I might be approaching this talk from a diff slightly different angle, which was just the the physicality of our practice uh, and its its deep rootedness in a kind of yoga, really yoga of body, speech, and mind, um, which prevents it from kind of floating off into some purely speculative mental realm and engages the whole body mind. Uh, which nourishes those roots and uh, invites that one to sit up and take notice. Uh, so that, that physical aspect is critically important. And uh, without that, it's hard for me to see... Well, I remember it quite well in high school when I was uh, fascinated with Buddhism. All I did was read about it for at least a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And finally I thought, well, this is dumb, this isn't doing anything at all. And then, finally, in my senior year, I, I discovered that Suzuki Roshi had a sitting group just a short ways away. So that made the connection. I think the first time I sat in, which was actually in my dorm room at boarding school, I, something was saying, oh, this, this is it. Okay, this is the connection you wanted to make. Sort of like, for instance, perhaps when you walk out the door, you could actually be aware of your legs moving yes. as you walk, right? Or the feel of the hot mug of coffee sure. in your hand as yeah. you sit there chatting with friends or right. whatever. This is kind of mindfulness practice in yeah. a way, and at first it's going to feel like it's not connected to anything, but it really is. It truly is. So. We could go have mindful tea and cookies right now if people want. And we have a little birthday to celebrate. So, and again, I'm sorry about Tajiki, but we will do it. And you're all invited when we do. It's Did Will someone mention Sandra Council on the and, and Cheryl's back today or tomorrow, so things will happen. Yes, go ahead. Council? Oh, oh Council mentioned. Council, Council today. Sangha Council is today. 11.30? ish yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And the Winter Light Retreat is Wednesday, December 4th through Sunday, December 8th. There's a sign-up sheet upstairs with the outline of and cost. Is, is only if you're going to join us for meals. Otherwise, right. you're, you're free to come. Come to any Sazen period or the talk. Try and show up or leave during intervals. Roughly, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, so you're all invited to participate if you want. <clears throat>